this has been great. I, I, I just, I really appreciate this church and what you're doing. I love the way you're using missionaries here too. Uh, rather than them just giving travelogues, um, you're actually asking them to help teach you. And I just think that's a, a remarkable thing. We are a fewer people today. I hope it wasn't because of that last story I told. You know, I drove home last night thinking, nope, that might not have been a good idea. <laughs> but uh, I want to just, just give you uh, some follow-up on some of the people that I've talked about in some of these stories. Like, I mentioned this this afternoon. Um, Betsy, Val. Uh, these are all people who... Months later, I was able to baptize, uh, and that my the congregation I served uh, just somehow loved them in their messiness. You know, Val started coming. She was the woman I was t- talking about who came down from the other tower, uh, and and Val came. I mean, she said one day to me, "You know, I got to go to church." I said, "I know just the church," <laughs> and our people just loved her. Um, and there were a couple of older women in the church who just came alongside her and, 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 and created a place where God could be made known to her. It was just remarkable. So, I mean, there is a reason for all of this. So I want to share, I love the Gospels. And uh, for some of you who, who've been in church all your lives, I'd like you to turn to not because you've been in your church all your, all your life, but Luke chapter 10. Uh, some of you will remember that um, in the 1950s, there was this fear as, as, as some scholarship in New Testament stuff, they began to get worried that, that the Gospels were slightly different. And so someone created what they called a harmony of the Gospel. Do you remember, do you remember those? And, and it's actually one of the... I, now, when, I, when, when evangelical scholars think about it, they often think that that was very unfortunate. Because the very litmus test of authenticity, I think, about the New Testament is that the stories of the four Gospels, the stories of Jesus, are just slightly different. It's in their difference that I think we find, find the truthfulness. If they were the same you'd miss the point. Like, take a story, and what's the newspaper here in Oshawa? What is it? Oshawa this week. So take a story and, and put the Globe and Mail, Canada's national newspaper that sounds strangely like Toronto, right? The National Post, Canada's national newspaper that sounds awfully like Calgary, right? Uh, the Toronto Star... And this day, Oshawa this week. And take the same story and see how they spin it. Take the Toronto Sun and put that up there. And, and you see, because the fact is, when we, when we encounter Jesus, there's just a bit of a, I mean, we see something different. For instance, the Gospel of Matthew is written, uh, and the scholars will tell you this, the Gospel of Matthew is written to, to Jewish Christians who were going through persecution. And so, for Matthew, as he's writing, he thinks it's important that you have all this sense of, of genealogy. Remember how it starts? Have you ever wondered why? Because if you're going through persecution, 
it's really good to know that you belong to something that stood the test of time. I mean, it's an amazing thing about Matt. Mark is a young Christian. He's encountered Jesus, and he's just excited. I mean, he's just really, really excited. And so you get this breathlessness in Mark's story, right? Have you noticed that? And, and then, and then immediately, and then, and then. There's this sense that he, he, he doesn't even start with the birth. Could care less. Matthew thinks it's important. Luke thinks it's important. Mark just wants to get to the story. And then he gets so excited about the resurrection that he ends the story with the women. Have you noticed that? He just goes, a century and a half later, someone who didn't like that ending, if you look at your Bible, kind of wrote a new ending. And usually it'll say in your Bible, this is not in the original kind of autographs. It's like you see a movie, you didn't like the end. And so there's just a little bit of an addition. But I think Mark did this for a reason. He wants you to know that you are the story. You tell the story of the resurrection. Like the women kind of, it just leaves them abrupt. John tells you why he wrote his gospel. What does he say? Do you remember? There were all these stories, and I could have told you all these stories, but what did he say? But I chose these few so that you might believe. So he says, I, I, I could have chosen all sorts of stories, but I chose these ones so that you'd believe. So whenever you read the Gospel of John, <coughs> you should always ask the question, why did he choose this story? I mean, why this story of all the stories he could have chosen? Luke was a historian. And, and Luke, and this is what I want to kind of, I want us to play with this chapter 10. Because I think the Mary and Martha story has been one of the most misunderstood and mispreached stories of all of the New Testament. Um, if you are a Martha, any Marthas here, raise your hand, even if you're a man. Any Marthas? You know, perfectionists, right? Right? Okay? I mean, if you're a Martha, if you, <laughs> if you hear we're preaching on Martha, the pastor is preaching on the Mary and Martha story, your first response is, oh, here we go, right? I'm going to get whacked again, right? Because Mary comes out smelling like a rose, and Martha, you Marthas. My mother, you know, got that from, you know, you Martha, because my mother was a Martha. Uh, it's, it's a fascinating story, though, because... Luke is a historian, and, but he's a different kind of historian than if you went to school and you memorized a kind of linear history where you memorize the dates and then you forget them after the exam. He's what they call a thematic historian. He gathers stories together to kind of drive home a theme. So whenever you read Matthew, you have to read the stories in context. You think the Mary and Martha story is about being and doing, right? You mean, Jesus comes to the door, Martha says, hi Jesus, I'll go fix things up, and Mary sits at the feet of Jesus and listens as Jesus teaches. And then Martha gets whacked by Jesus when he says, 
Oh, Martha, Martha. Mary chose the best, right? That's how you've read it. I want to suggest to you that's a misreading. Because what are the two stories before? What's the first story in chapter 10? The sending out of the seven, the two by twos, right? The 72, or how many was it? How many was it? 72, good, okay. We're still on the same story. So they sent them out two by two. And, and what happens is, they go out, Jesus sends them out, and they come back and they go, whoa, you should have seen what happened. We cast out demons, we did this. We, like, they, they go out, Jesus sends them, and God works. And they come back absolutely blown out of the water. You should have seen it. And Jesus says, you know, that little bit about some will hear, you know. But he just said, wow. What's the second story? The Good Samaritan. Okay. Teacher comes up and he says what? He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers. He says, or the guy answers. He says, you know. And the guy says, well, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, way to go. Big shooter. You did a good job. And then the guy asks the minimal question. Right? The minimal question. It's the same kind of question as how many times do I have to forgive? Right? The minimal question is, okay, that one, for instance, is who can I like and who can I not like? This is on the neighbor question. The forgiveness one is, when can I stop forgiving? Whenever someone asks the minimal question, you really know that they really don't want the answer that they're about to get. And he says, who's my neighbor? Like, is it geographic? <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, is it the person in my, in my block? I mean, who can I like and who, can, who don't I have to like? And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, which is the unlikely story, because it turns out that your neighbor is not who it's supposed to be. And then comes the Mary and Martha story. Now, you need to ask the question, why those three stories together? I think these three stories are about not missing the moment. about not missing the moment. The first one is a story about God at work just kind of right in front of you. You know? Like something just happens. I mean, you're, you're, you're kind of incidental to the whole thing. It is God at work moving. And all you have to do is recognize it for what it is. And you go, wow. Like God just shows up. And does something in front of you. Now, you may think that that might be very easy. But in churches, we lose the ability to see the moments. We begin to take them for granted. I still remember <coughs> one Sunday in our church, God just... And I realize, theologically, God always shows up. But just something special happened one Sunday. 
and I gave an altar call. And it was like someone had turned the tap on. It was just people started coming down. And people, and this didn't happen very often, <laughs> but people st- were crying, some of them. And it's just like the Spirit of God just did something. And all these people were at the front. All my colleagues were going, oh gosh, what are we going to do? <laughs> I mean, it was just a movement of God. And at the end of it, I went to the back of the church to shake hands. And the first person who came up to me said, did you realize that the worship team was too loud today? <laughs> like, I remember, sitting, I remember sitting there going, okay now, did, did you see what happened down at the front of the church? Like, I, in my mind, I was thinking, were we even in the same church that Sunday? That happens all the time in churches. Like, new people come in, and, and, it, and it makes people uncomfortable, but people are coming, and they're coming to Christ. Like, the church I served in Edmonton hadn't had children in the church for years. Just think about that. And then, all of a sudden, piles of kids started Families started coming. Now, there was a part of the church that just liked it the way it was. <laughs> like, it was a very quiet worship. Even if you don't have any kids. And the French brigade furniture in the parlor never got mussed up. Right? I don't know if you have rooms like that in this church, but in our church, the Women's Association had furnished this one room with this French provincial furniture. And one day I, I walked in and, and two of the kids on the white French provincial furniture had written Andrew in felt pen and David on the back. And I went, oh. Matter of fact, I told the boys later, next time write my name. <laughs> like, like, if you're going to do something stupid like that, at least write my name, write someone else's name. Never write your own name. Like, that's dumb. Like, that's really stupid. So all I could think of was, I'm in trouble. And so we pushed the couch up against the wall, hoping that some of the dear saints would not find it. But they have a way. It's like radar. Right? And, she come, and Lucille comes into my office and she says, Gary. I said, yes. <laughs> she says, do you know that someone wrote on the back of the couch in the parlor? I said, No. Really? She said, no, I actually didn't say that. I said, I said yeah, I actually did, and, and I've talked to them. And, and she, I said, what are you going to do? She said, oh, I'm going to clean it. And I said, you're not mad? And she said this, Gary, we've had no kids here for years. She says, I don't care if they take you know, felt pen or even razor blades to these couches. I'm just glad God is at work. Isn't it tragic when people miss it? Matter of fact, one of the most important things to do in this 21st century with churches that are engaging the community is beginning to recognize the movement of when just God does something. Like, where is your baptistry? (laughs) 
okay. Like, like, never take that for granted. Like, never take, is it going up? Yeah. <laughs> never take that for granted. Every time someone is in that tank and you are taking them down, that's a movement of God. Like, never take that for granted. Never ho-hum it. Every time someone comes into this church, you know, because of a significant relationship, and they find God, that's a movement of God. Never doubt that God is at work. And here's another one. You know, before you go somewhere, never doubt that God's there first. You know, God is at work in spite of you. We were talking about that this afternoon. God is at work doing stuff. And some, most of the time, we're just catching up. It's important. So, so don't miss the moments when God just shows up and does something in front of you. And don't you dare whole hum it. Don't you dare just kind of take it for granted. The second don't miss the moment, if that's the one where you just watch, the second one is, is just as important. It's the times when God places an opportunity before you. And you have a chance to respond. Isn't it interesting that the people that don't respond again are your religious establishment? Three stories, three religious establishment stories, right? Because we're the worst. We put him in a box, that's God. And we, we decide he's, we will respond in certain ways to certain things. Or we will see certain ways that he's going to respond. I mean, God places doors of opportunity. How many churches have I been in who, who, who have piles of money in trust saving for a rainy day as they drift into oblivion? I mean, if I, I always kind of, I always say, I, I'm here to tell you, it's raining. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I mean, there's churches I've, I've consulted with where we sat down with them and we're talking to them. I mean, and it's obviously they're in trouble and they have thousands of dollars to, that they might take some risks with in terms of engaging their community in, in, in some kind of meaningful ways. But they're, but they're hoarding it. And you say, what are you hoarding it for? Or here's a worse one. I'm sitting with a church as a consultant and across the street is a major high school. Okay? A major high school. And I say, do you think God might be calling you to that high school? Well, let's have a discussion about it. (laughs) So they all broke into groups. And they had this discussion. They just didn't feel like maybe that was their responsibility. Now, if you had a high school across the street from you, this would be what I would call a duh moment. Right? I mean, obvious. Now, one of the things I would say that's exciting is that finally this, that church began to realize that that was, their, that was their mission field. They bought foosball machines. They bought wrestling mats. They, bought, uh, they have a volunteer program in terms of serving lunch 
uh, during the day, 300 kids will come piling into that place at noon hour and after school. The building is getting ripped up, you know, and everybody's going, isn't this great? And kids are coming to know Christ. But isn't it interesting? I mean, we get moments put in front of us, and so often we miss the moments. I mean, so often we don't see what God is doing right in front of us. But then worse, when he puts an opportunity in front of us and we choose not to respond. I, I think one of the, the, the big issues for, for us in Canada is the immigrant. I mean, the person who is moving here. I've told you about my little church of 100. And I, I, I've said bad things about it in a previous meeting. I go to the most phenomenal church of any in Mimico. <laughs> there aren't many churches in Mimico. Um, it's a little church of 100 people. You would, you would not like our worship because it's really not that great. Nobody's ever going to write a book about this church. Um, it has a, we figure between 17 to 20 language groups in this church. Uh, and th- they had an opportunity to reach mainland Chinese immigrants who were coming to study at the University of Toronto. And so this little church of 100 raised enough money to pay for a Chinese, a Mandarin-speaking pastor we can't afford that. But we did it. And now sitting in that congregation on a Sunday morning are 30 brand new Christian um, Mandarin-speaking Chinese. Now, that little church with not that great a worship, <laughs> you know, is also right next to John English, High, uh, John English School. Like right next door. And our pastor has made us engage with that school in amazing kinds of ways in which we volunteer and we, uh, we do all sorts of kinds of things. And one of my friends comes back from the mission field and his wife, who hasn't taught for 19 years, who's one of the greatest evangelists I know, uh, she comes back, she's never, she hasn't taught for 19 years, and our pastor goes over to the principal and says, you know, there's a really neat new teacher coming in back from France. It's a French immersion She's fluent in French. How about giving her a chance? And because the principal trusts our church, they give Heather a chance, and Heather becomes a Christian presence profoundly in that school to this day. I mean, opportunities like that, God places before you. I think it's, I mean, this idea of where you work and where you, where you live your lives and the opportunities that you're given in relationships to invite people into your home, to do the kinds of things that make it possible to actually begin to kind of bring the gospel into people's lives. Sometimes God just does stuff in front of you. Sometimes he lays things right out in front of you, and you don't want to miss those moments either, because sometimes those are the most risky adventures of them all. The third one is the story of the Mary and Martha story. Now, Mary and Martha are an interesting... My guess is that Martha's frustration is cumulative. Do you know what I mean? 
Like, my guess is that Mary's done this before. Like, and, and not such great times. Like, I don't think that Martha just got frustrated for the first time in this story. But, but think about this for a second. This is what we call in English literature a theophany, a disclosure of God. Jesus, who is the Son of God, comes to your house, knocks on the door, you open it. Do you have any questions? Do, like, I'm serious. Do you have a few questions you'd like to ask God? Great opportunity. Right? Amazing opportunity. I have one. I want to know. My doctoral mentor was the Anglican charismatic uh, David Watson, who, who breathed life into the church in England and was doing amazing stuff in terms of bringing renewal to the church in England. And then he got cancer. And I remember sitting with him one day, and I said this to him, you know, David, um, I can think of a thousand ministers (laughs) that should go before you. (laughs) You know, and by the way, I'm on the list. Like, I put myself on the list. You know, I want to know why. God, why did you do that? Like, of all the people... Why? I mean, that's a trivial one, but we all have questions. Mary sits down at the feet of Jesus and listens. Maybe she asks the questions for the first time. The tragedy for Martha is in this place, she recognized one thing, but she missed the really important moment. Sometimes, sometimes you've got to pause long enough to listen. This would be one for pastors who, who become so busy or for you Marthas who become so busy that sometimes it just it would be really good to just pause long enough to listen for God because he might surprise you. I don't think this story is about being and doing. I think this is about recognition and not missing the moment. Matter of fact, I think it's the great art for the church in the 21st century to begin to hone uh, an imagination and a spirit so that they are attuned and anticipate that God might act in different ways and that they will recognize the moments when they come up. Sometimes they'll just be miraculous actions in front of you. And, and, you're, and, and, you know, it's so critical not to miss those because, like, you may not like this story and you may never invite me back, but let me tell you this. Val was a chain smoker. And I'm baptizing her that Sunday. Now, I don't know what you think about this. She says to me, we're both in our white robes. And she says, Gary, I'm really nervous. Can I have a smoke? (laughs) I didn't know what to do. I I went. (laughs) And then I said, 
sure. And we went out to the stairs in front of my office, which is right in front of the opening to the church. (laughs) And in our little white robes, we're sitting on the stairs. And I'm sitting beside her, and she's having a cigarette. And I'm thinking, I'm dead. (laughs) But you know what? My congregation recognized the moment for what it was. Like, like I'm sorry. But one that comes to Christ, imperfect, broken, is way more important than whether I get a butt on the stairs at the church. And if you can't recognize that moment, then you've become the religious establishment. I never heard a thing from anybody in that church that day. I'm not saying everybody was happy that the pastor was out not having a smoke, but sitting next to one who was having a smoke. But do you know what I'm saying? Don't miss those moments. Because the miraculous moment of conversion was way more important than the discomfort of that one, of that that issue when God places opportunities before you don't be afraid to share the gospel it's the power it's the answer if you don't believe that then you've got better things to do on a Sunday morning I mean don't waste your time if you don't think the gospel is the answer to people's lives don't miss the moments to share or to respond with justice or any of those kinds of things. That little church of mine, I shared this this afternoon, that little church of mine has ministered to young people for so long that now we have this great youth group. None of them, it's kind of funny, there's only two white people in the whole youth group. One of, them came, one of the other ones came up to me today, the other day and said, did you know I'm black? I said, uh, actually, I did. <laughs> She said, I was at this youth group and they were all white. She said, weird. (laughs) I said, well, there are some weird groups out there. But I mean, the president of the school, the high school, is a member of that youth group. Isn't that amazing? The vice president of the student association is a member of that youth group. And this is the most nondescript church in the whole area. And yet this church has not missed the moments of engaging the community. And then don't miss the moments to sit and listen. I was an associate pastor and I didn't get to preach in the morning service very often. Um, In this first church that I served in Canada when I came back. And uh, it was an interesting kind of experience because the pastor one day, he said, do you want to preach on the day of Pentecost? In the morning service, I was ready. Holy Spirit, church, I mean, that was, I, I had that bagged, and I was going to talk about it. So I crafted an hour and a half long sermon on the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. I mean, it was, you know, when you're just out of seminary, right, you just got all this stuff you want to unpack, and you need it. Believe me, you all need it. <laughs> like, we're all convinced that coming out of seminary, there's all this stuff that needs to get out in one sermon, right? 
And so I started, and I waded into this sermon. I started, you know, I started in the Old Testament, and I said, the great Hebrew word that's translated spirit, ruach. Isn't that a great word? Ruach. Breath. I talked about good breath, bad breath. You know, like I kind of wove my way through the sermon, you know, all the way through this. And, and, and then I finally got to the New Testament, finally. <laughs> 45 minutes into it, and everybody's going. And I, and I got to the birth of the church. And I started to describe it. And I said, there was tons of fire and a great rushing wind. And just as I said, and there was a great rushing wind, bam! A window blew out in the church. I I am not making this up. You can check with people from that church. It was like the best object lesson ever. It turned out that that something, a wind had kind of sucked down and sucked the window out. It was one of these big stained glass windows. Just went, boom! Like this. So, I mean, imagine. I said, I said, and there was a great rushing wind. Bam! This is what I remember. For just a moment, for just a moment, everybody in the congregation was like this. (laughs) Now, I want to argue with you. I think we should always be like that. I think the art of being the church today is, is, is this imagination and this, this belief and this anticipation that God is actually going to show up, that God is actually going to work, that God is going to change lives, that God is going to change my life, that, I'm not, that God's not finished with me yet, and that there's something that's going to happen to me. I actually believe that we should be living like that. Because if we don't, we become the religious establishment. If we stop anticipating that God will work, then we will start going to technique, you know, and management, and programs. Not that programs aren't important. If we don't expect that God works, then then worship becomes rote. I mean, actually, God's here, you know, in worship. And if we don't expect that he will show up, then we don't open ourselves up to him. And then we are like Martha. We miss the moment. We miss the moment. This is my prayer for you. That you will be a church that wants God to work And you will do anything, even if it's uncomfortable, to be what God wants you to be. Because you know what? If you don't want to do that, there is better things to do on a Sunday morning. You know that, right? There's a lot better things to do. But if you do want to do that, It's the greatest adventure in the world. I see this in the third world all the time. I see churches that actually believe that God changes lives. I see it here. And my prayer is that God will continue to make you that. Thank you for putting up with me. You've been more than kind listening to me. 
And if I've offended any of you, I apologize. But um, my mother loves me. <laughs> Which is really reassuring when, when you're being rejected by others. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for your time. I do think this is an exciting place. And I've gotten to know Rick, and I'm real excited about uh, what God is doing here. Thanks a lot. God bless.